episode of Progress, Potential, and Possibilities, discussions with fascinating people designing a better tomorrow for all of us. I'm your host, Ira Pastor. Welcome, everybody, again to another episode of our show. We're bringing you another fascinating guest today uh, who is involved in creating a better tomorrow for all of us. Uh, Today, we have the opportunity to be joined by Dr. Bjorn Orovar, who is Chief Science Officer, Executive Vice President of Business Development, and a co-founder of ARF Genetics, which is an innovative plant biotechnology company uh, and a pioneer in developing and manufacturing high quality recombinant proteins such as growth factors uh, derived from barley plants. Uh, Arf Genetics was established back in 2001, uh, initially to develop innovative, economically viable, and enabling solutions to produce recombinant proteins using barley grain as their vehicle for production, uh, providing uh, an efficient and safe method uh, compared to other protein expression systems. Uh, Dr. Oravar served as the CEO of the company from uh, 2006 to 2013, as the Executive VP and Chief Scientific Officer uh, since 2013, and was a member of the board uh, from 2001 to 2006. Uh, Dr. Orvar received his PhD in plant molecular genetics in 1997 uh, from the University of British Columbia in Canada, uh, was a postdoc fellow at McGill University in Montreal for three years, uh, focusing on plant cell stress signaling, and he is currently responsible uh, for a wide range of research and innovation within the company, uh, as well as being the uh, international spokesperson for their new uh, skincare brand known as BioEffect. Uh, a lot to talk about today, but uh, Dr. Bornarovar, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. Well, thank you for the invitation. It's great having you, and um, as I mentioned in the uh, the intro, when I talk about our virtual road trip that we take on this show, we are journeying uh, to see you in Iceland today. Um, but uh, that being said, um, you know, I would love to start off as we typically do on the show by passing you the the microphone for a little bit, just to talk a little bit uh, more about yourself, uh, everything from uh, where you grew up to when you got interested in uh, plant molecular genetics, um, the whole area of plant biotech, and a little bit of your early career journey. I think that'd be a great way to start things off. Uh, yes, so so I'm, I'm from Iceland, born here, and, and uh, I have always been fascinated with science. Uh, I think I can say that. And uh, but for the first few years after I finished uh, undergraduate, I actually taught in a college, and then I decided to uh, to go for a, a graduate study in University of British Columbia, focusing on on, on plant uh, molecular genetics. Uh, however, I I did my time in the lab, so to speak, uh, for many years. But uh, I've always been very much interested in how we can actually use science to. To uh, to uh, develop a product. So, mm-hmm. how can we actually apply science to do something more than just uh, just delivering scientific uh, results and so forth? Uh, at the same time, I very much respect all the scientists around the world that are doing a fantastic job of 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 uh, of uh, showing us some new results, new science, and so forth. But uh, I want to take it uh, further and, and bring it into a product. Yes. Excellent. Excellent. And, you know, 
for a long history, um, not just of the healthcare area, but in all industries, plants have, have had a presence. And, you know, we're thinking back to, uh, obviously, a long history of plant-derived bioproducts in the pharmaceutical industry, obviously in consumer health, uh, in fabrics, in foods, of course. Um, and, and the area that you're involved in, which I'll, I'll broadly term uh, molecular farming, uh, where we're looking at uh, these amazing biofactories uh, that use photosynthesis and, and carbon dioxide and so forth to make innovative things for us uh, goes back a little bit. It, it's a, it's somewhat of a new theme, but it, it, uh, in the scope of things, you know, people have been looking at plants uh, as a way to make sort of not just the natural stuff, but unnatural or newer things. Uh, talk a little bit, if you would, just introducing us to the, the history of, of molecular farming in general uh, as a tool for the biotechnology space to make bioproducts. Yes, well, I can uh, just give you as an example from my own experience. So sure. initially, uh, I was very much fascinated with the idea of of developing new uh, cultivars that could be, for example, uh, tolerate more stress, cold mm -hmm. stress, heat shock, uh, salt tolerance, uh, and so forth. And, and that was actually my initial idea of going into uh, uh, plant molecular genetics and so on. And, and I come from Iceland, which is a relatively cold place. Very few plants can grow here in the summer and so forth. So, so my interest was in, in uh, using the uh, bioengineering technology to actually uh, improve different cultivars to, to tolerate more cold and, and frost and so forth. However, the, uh, the sentiments towards GMO uh, is is not so positive here in, in, uh, in Europe. Actually, it's more positive in Iceland. I, I would say that uh, GMO sentiment here in Iceland is uh, quite similar to probably in US and Canada. Uh, and, uh, but I always saw this as a, it, it had to be a global project, whatever I was working on. And, uh, and just to, to be very honest about it, I didn't want to, uh, work on uh, genetic engineering on plants within the within Europe mm -hmm. that would always be so political and so forth sure. but but in striking contrast to that I thought that uh, actually molecular farming using plants using the same technology actually to produce some valuable uh, uh, proteins in this case uh, uh, would actually be uh, much more fun to work with as it wouldn't be as political and so forth. And that's probably the reason that I actually decided to, uh, to uh, turn my focus to uh, molecular farming. I believe in general that plants have a great opportunity to produce different kinds of, of, of recombinant proteins for different purposes and so on. So I think we're just starting there. Uh, we can... Uh, talk about proteins such as growth factors for, so for stem cell uh, uh, stem cell or cultured meat and so forth but also in terms of of taste management like we have been looking at and, and so forth and, and uh, improving the quality of food and so forth. So mm -hmm. I think there is a vast opportunity there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you know, took us a little bit, um, I don't know much about it, except for me <laughs> eating it occasionally in soup, but uh, talk about barley, if you would, because I know a lot of the 
um, sort of the, the past molecular farming that I, I sort of followed, uh, things like tobacco. Um, I remember locally Charlie Arnson uh, from out in, um, on the West Coast talking about bananas at one point with the edible vaccines. Uh, why barley? Talk about, you know, are there interesting facts about barley that we should know? And then, of course, is there a uh, some, obviously, you're, you're working, we'll get into sort of the greenhouses and everything you're doing in Iceland, but uh, is there a connection with barley in Iceland that we don't, we don't know about? Well, first of all, I've been working with different plants or genetically engineering different plants, and, but I was always very fascinated with the barley uh, using or exploiting the seed. Uh, it's okay. a re re uh, relatively good protein producer. You have the protein machinery within the seed, and, and if you can exploit that to produce a recombinant protein, that would be actually excellent. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, so, however, barley is extremely difficult plant in uh, genetic engineering and tissue culture. So, so mm. there, are, there are relatively few labs around the world working with barley. So it was actually quite a risk that we took in the early days to focus on the barley plant uh, it, it, to, use, it, to use or develop the barley plant as the, as the vehicle for recombinant protein production. However, today we have up and running high throughput system doing this. It's no problem today. But Barley has this uh, quality of, yeah, it's a relatively good protein producer, but also barley is what we call biologically contained species. Hmm. It means that it is very difficult to see. There are rare instances of cross-pollination between different plants in, in barley. And this is something that we uh, obviously exploit in our greenhouse, but also if we do infield cultivation, it's, it would be more acceptable by the regulatory body to have a plant that is so biologically contained like the barley plant. And then also I come from Iceland and very few, like I said previously, very few plants uh, grow here. Barley almost grows here. I mean, we have a harvest, uh, it's not, uh, it's not a very reliable cultivation here in Iceland, but, uh, but in most years we can have some harvest. And, and I had to focus on something that could grow here. I'm not focusing on wheat or soybean sure. or rice, definitely. Yeah, sure. Talk a little bit then, if you would, you, you, know, you mentioned um, you, you have several things in the portfolio. Um, one uh, has to do with certain growth factors where you're looking at them uh, more as a uh, tool for the stem cell research market. You're also very active uh, in related uh, cyto growth factors, cytokines for uh, skin care. Uh, and, and once again, you're, uh, one of the selling points, obviously, is moving away from animal-like growth factors and, and towards the plant ones. Um, talk a little bit about some of what you're working on currently in the portfolio. Yes, so, so initially uh, we worked on human growth factors for stem cell research, medical research in general, and, and we launched our first product line human, of growth, human growth factors in 2007, we call isokine growth factors, mm -hmm. highly purified growth factors. Then actually uh, being a young biotech company and always, uh, always faced with the problems of funding and so forth, and we decided to... Uh, uh, to also develop a product that we could easily or, or more easily uh, bring in, uh, give us some revenues. 
So we we actually identified a few growth factors that we already have had in our isocan product line that we uh, could actually use in terms of uh, skincare, use it mm -hmm. in skincare products. Initially, we were just going to sell those growth factors to uh, skincare or cosmetic companies around the world. Mm -hmm. But uh, we realized that these companies had, uh, uh, in some cases, limited knowledge about growth factors. Mm -hmm. and But definitely very little uh, uh, information or, or knowledge about how to formulate them into a skincare uh, product. Mm -hmm. uh, so we decided uh, that was also a risk. We decided just to, okay, let's just develop our own product line, which is called BioEffect, and we launched that in, in 2010. And it's now sold in 27 markets around the world. It's doing quite well. And so, this has given us some revenues to continue our R&D our and, and, and looking into new projects and so forth. And the last project, and we are using uh, to some extent revenues from uh, the BioEffect skincare line, uh, to develop a new uh, product line that is called uh, mesokine growth factors. These are animal growth factors specifically designed for the cell-coded meat industry. So this is uh, where this is a way of surviving for a small biotech company, but uh, it turned out to be quite a good uh, business model in our case. Excellent. And uh, But also I have to say that uh, in terms of our mesokine animal growth factors that we are now developing and scaling up uh, and producing, we also received a, a, a large grant from the European Union last year just to speed up this process. Mm. Excellent, excellent. As you were, you know, you were mentioning um, early on that, that obviously not a, not a lot of things grow very well in Iceland. You are working with uh, greenhouse production, which you know has come a long way over the years in terms of uh, the uh, the amounts per you know, square meter and so forth, the biomass that one can produce. Um, but you're also, you know, interestingly, uh, Iceland is, uh, you know, very, has a lot of renewable uh, energy sources. You're, you're located on a, on a block lava field, which is also quite intriguing for someone that's not a, uh, around that type of environment. Talk a little bit about uh, what a black lava field is and sort of the renewable energy uh, opportunities that come from that, that, that help you sort of keep energy clean, but at the same time, uh, cheaper than, than other sources uh, that you might have to tap into to run a greenhouse. Yes. So, uh, so as we are located in Iceland, you think about greenhouses and we have yeah. a relatively large greenhouse operation in, in Iceland. And the reason is that we have this access to geothermal energy, yeah. which is a renewable energy. It's a, it's a low cost energy. So we were always uh, focused on, on using greenhouses to cultivate mm -hmm. our barley plants because of this, uh, this uh, unique energy source we have here. And uh, so Iceland has this renewable energy, geothermal energy, hydro, hydroelectric power and things like that. And we are located in a, in a very geologically active area. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, we un uh, we have just uh, seven kilometers away from our greenhouse. It's a active volcano. It just stopped erupting a few weeks ago. Mm. So and so it's continuously producing new lava and and uh, so 
So Iceland is all about black lava and, geo, and geologically active uh, volcanoes and so forth. And, and uh, the downside, of course, you have those volcanoes. You never know where they show up. And, uh, but uh, uh, the upside is that you have access to this uh, fantastic uh, energy. And we use that in our, in, our, in our company with our greenhouses and so forth. Yeah. And also then obviously one of the concerns, and I think you address this though, is uh, with GMOs that you're fairly also isolated out there. So it's not like genes can hop from, you know, out of the greenhouse to some uh, other species. And, and, and I think that, uh, you know, which has always been a concern for, for the groups that have tried to do molecular farming in the past in the middle of a, a soybean field or whatever, and then genes end up uh, however uh, other other places they shouldn't be so i, I think that's kind of a, another interesting uh, part of your story um what um as a uh, a plant molecular geneticist you know i i'd love to just get your your thoughts on some of the other areas that we've seen sort of in the space and and whether they may or may not be of interest for of genetics uh, in the future as you develop further your business model and, and explore some of these different opportunities. And obviously the one that comes up uh, in a major way are, are, are plant-produced vaccines, uh, whether they uh, be edible vaccines like Charlie Arnson used to talk about or just using barley or other species as a way to make these uh, different antigens and so forth cheaper, uh, less expensively and, and, and what have you uh, for for the future? Uh, any interest in the vaccine space at Orf Genetics in the future? No, I I don't think so. And uh, the reason is that uh, I think they already have developed a really nice plant systems mm -hmm. uh, to produce vaccines. Really elegant systems and, sure. and technology, and 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 they are based more or less on tran so-called transient expression. Yeah. So these are not transgenic plants, and and so forth. So I think that's the right approach uh, to take if you're talking about uh, vaccines, especially if there is like a epidemical uh, vaccines and so forth. Uh, you should definitely rely on that, not on transgenic plants like what we are doing. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, it's a different story if you think about uh, uh, all the biologics and things like that. Then you can uh, consider, and I think you should consider transgenic plants instead of transient expression. But for vaccines, definitely go for the transient expression system, which are really elegant today. Okay, then, then on that note, obviously coming to the other end uh, of that spectrum, as you're just mentioning, um, you know, I, I look at the, the list of the top 10, well, maybe even the top 20 drugs in the world nowadays, they're all monoclonal antibodies generating billions and billions of dollars. Uh, monoclonals, other unique biologics, things of this nature, uh, are they in your business plan and uh, potential for molecular farming there? Well, uh, not monoclonals because okay. uh, again, there we also have a very good system producing them, CHO cells and things like that. And they've sure. been like uh, optimizing that system tremendously in the last 20 years or whatever. And uh, I don't think uh, transgenic plants can easily uh, compete with that. Okay. So they have to compete in, in different areas with more difficult protests maybe and, and, uh, and something that you also need in, in large uh, quantities. However, there is always going to be, a, this is always going to be a, a tough road because mm -hmm. the pharmaceutical industry in general is relatively conservative. Uh, the regulatory body around the, the uh, 
around the pharmaceutical production is also uh, relatively uh, conservative and strict and so on. And uh, this system in place, both on the private side and also on the governmental side, is more or less set up and custom made uh, for systems uh, for systems like chow cells and or even bacterial mm -hmm. yeast uh, but definitely not for plants and uh, so i think there's a long way to go uh, using plants for this uh, and that has to do a lot to do with the mindset i think mm -hmm. okay well then, then coming back to one other um area that's that's always fascinated me fascinated me and clearly uh this is right in your 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 own scientific domain as you were mentioning at the beginning you you worked on a uh, frost resistance um in, in your in your previous research and clearly iceland and and has a has a connection there and i remember years ago um uh seeing some of the incredible numbers just here in the united states alone of what happens with a very short frost uh in in say a state like florida and the billions that are lost um exciting things obviously you probably you know you, you watch all these areas you're focused on orf uh, and uh uh, and that business, but uh, talk about frost resistance for a couple of minutes and where we are sort of uh, as a scientific community on dealing with this major issue. Yes, I think uh, unfortunately, because of this anti-GMO sentiment out there, uh, it, I think many labs have given up on uh, on uh, pursuing this, uh, this road mm -hmm. avenue. Uh, I think there's a there is a tremendous opportunity there, technically speaking, uh, or for example, improving uh, frost tolerance and even just improving cold tolerance, yeah. because uh, that would, in many cases, that would be enough just to improve the cold tolerance. And uh, I and the the interesting thing is that uh, uh, these stress. Uh, uh, these stresses that the plant is often faced with yeah. can be they can be of different nature but the reaction of the plant is to some extent very much similar mm. it doesn't matter if it's a heat shock cold shock or a pest that is uh, attacking the plant uh, the plant uses in many cases similar arsenal to to fight back yeah. and i think it's very unfortunate that we didn't uh, uh, that we couldn't continue a lot of effort going into this research because mm -hmm. it definitely will help us or could help us in terms of of, of feeding the world and, and so on. I think it's, uh, and my kind of personal view is that uh, we, we definitely need to introduce again uh, genetic engineering of plants to help us with some of those uh, food problems we will be faced with in the in the coming years and decades uh, and that has to, a lot to do with improving stress tolerance different stress tolerance in plants mm -hmm. because we are always uh, we are we always uh, how can i say we are always we are forced to to grow these plants in always worse and worse environment yeah. Uh, climatically, climatically speaking, and also in terms of soil and, 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 and water, access to water and so on. So we have less land, and this land that is available has a all worse and worse quality and worse and worse climate. Mm -hmm. So uh, 
I think we we definitely need to introduce and put a lot of effort into uh, plant genetic engineering to at least help us to solve some of those problems. Yeah, yeah, I uh, I completely agree with that, and I think you know that uh, that that triple sort of whammy of of uh, frost. Uh, of drought and then of course salinity and then we did a little show a little while ago about sort of the, the amount of deserts that are that are forming coastal deserts that are forming everywhere on this planet uh, I, i'd really like personally to see see more of that but um anyway getting back to you and arf genetics uh you mentioned the marketed products you have the mesokine asokine and dermokine uh working with the research community working on the derma side um Anything else coming up, 2022, uh, conferences you're going to be speaking at, new product launches, anything uh, that you want to mention uh, on the show, please uh, have the microphone. Yes. So what we are now, uh, <clears throat> our main focus now, in addition to our, our BioFit skincare line, that is actually just uh, in an autopilot, so to speak. Our main focus now is to really, uh, really put all our efforts into the mesokine uh, portfolio and mesokine production and uh, scaling up the production, uh, expanding our portfolio, communicating with all those uh, cell-cultured meat companies around the world. And uh, we think that we have a, a, a lot of opportunities there. And also uh, we think that we can uh, help this industry a lot by bringing down the cost Mm -hmm. of those uh, animal growth factors dramatically and at the same time be able to deliver the volumes that they will definitely need in, in very few years to come. So I would say like our focus now and emphasis is all on mesokine production uh, and uh, how we can improve this, uh, this uh, technology and, uh, and the availability and reduce the, the cost. So we're very excited for the for the future. Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely think you're positioning yourself in the right space. And I I've done a couple shows on on both uh, cell-cultured meat and cell-cultured fish. And they definitely, when you look at the scale they're going to be at, I think you're definitely in, in the right spot for uh, providing those solutions uh, that they, they will need to get the, the the millions of tons of food to all of us. So I, I think it's a very exciting uh, time and, and you're definitely in the right space uh, with the position that you're, you're going with uh, the plant alternative. So really exciting uh, work you're doing there and, and, and wishing you uh, the best with the research, the best with the company, uh, moving it all forward. Um, for everybody that uh, is going to be listening to this particular uh, episode uh, on the podcast or watching uh, on the YouTube channel, you've been listening to Dr. Bjorn Orovar, uh, Chief Science Officer, Executive Vice President of Business Development and Co-Founder of Arf Genetics in Iceland. Uh, Bjorn, I, I Really appreciate uh, you taking the time out of your schedule to come talk to our audience. Uh, thanks for everything you're doing up there in Iceland. And as we like to say on our show, uh, thank you for helping to create the better tomorrow for all of us. Really fascinating story. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome.